Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon podcast. We are in our Advent series right now called Christmas Playlist. And in this series, we are taking a look at some of the lyrics in our favorite Christmas hymns. Now, these songs that we sing each year have some profound theological and scriptural truths in them, but we're in danger of missing it because of how familiar many of us have become with those songs. So I hope that you enjoy this message. And as always, feel free to find us online at tablechurchdsm.org. Good morning, church. I'm Cheryl Kozakowski, and it's my privilege to get to read the scripture this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31, and it's known as the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Table Church. I'm so happy you are here today. To follow up on what Pastor Megan said earlier, 
We have our Christmas open house today at 4 o'clock at the Ministry Center. I sure hope you'll come. Uh, there's going to be a lot of food there. Uh, there's going to be our annual tradition of making an ornament with Pastor Phil. You don't want to miss that. Get your 2023 ornament, table church ornament, and of course, cookie decorating with Natalie as well. So it's going to be a great time. Uh, come and hang out and uh, enjoy your church family with us. Now, the story you just heard, Cheryl Reed, is often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. That's probably the most popular name for it. Now, the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant or having spent everything. That's what the word prodigal means. And it's easy to see why we call it that, because that's exactly what this son did. He was reckless with his money, wasn't he? He spent everything. He was prodigal. Now, Tim Keller, um, he wrote a book called Prodigal God, and he, in that book, argues we've misnamed this parable because we've focused almost entirely on the younger son. There's two sons in the story, isn't there? He says they both matter. Jesus has something to tell us with both of those sons. And they're both estranged from their father. They're both separated from their father, but in very different ways. And so for that reason, he says that we should actually call it the parable of the two lost sons. That would be a better name for it. Now we're in an Advent series right now. Um, and yeah, we're coming up on our Christmas Eve service. I hope that you'll be inviting friends and family to join us. It's going to be at six o'clock Christmas Eve right here. No morning services. We've said it a million times now. You've heard it multiple times here today. Just want to make sure you know that. Uh, but in this series, it's called Christmas Playlist, and we're looking at some of the scriptural and theological themes in some of our favorite Christmas songs. And so this time of year, we always sing the same songs, right? It's like, well, what do these songs mean? Like, what, what, where did they come from, and what are some of the things that they're telling us? So today's sermon is inspired by a line from Charles Wesley's uh, hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the line is where it says, God and sinners reconciled. Because this gets us to the heart of Christmas, and it gets us to the heart of the gospel. Like, why did Jesus come in the first place? It's to reconcile sinners to God. And I think that this parable is an amazing way for us to explore what that means. And so we're going to be looking at that parable today. Now, my worry is that the fact that Jesus came to save sinners is largely lost on us today for a couple of reasons. I, I, I see two things happening. The challenge that the gospel faces today is that either we don't see why our sin is a problem that needs saving, or we don't think we are sinners in the first place. So either we just don't care about our sin. We're thinking, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do, I mean, I do it because it's fun, you know? Like, I'm gonna do what I want. Or we're like, no, I don't, I don't sin, right? In other words, sin is not a very popular topic today. Um, there was a, probably a time or times throughout history where <laughs> sin was actually something that you, you tried not to do it, you know? Uh, but more or less, I think a lot of us today carry one of these two attitudes about our sin. Either we know it, we probably do it, but we don't really care that much. You know, I'd rather have fun. Or we actually don't think we do it when we, when we do. And so we've either rationalized our sin to the point where we really just don't care, or we are so self-righteous we don't think we have sin to begin with. Now, notice both of those things end up in the same spot. We're, they're both like estranged from the Father. 
Now, the younger son in the parable is like that first group I just described. You got those of us who don't see sin as a problem. That's kind of where he is. He's like, I just want to go have fun. I don't care how much I hurt my father. I don't care how much this bothers anyone else. Like, I'm just going to go have fun. Right? He comes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, give me my share of the estate. Now, as a younger son, he stood to inherit a third of the estate. His older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. Doesn't seem fair to us now, but that's just how it was back then. Still a lot, though. His dad was a very wealthy guy, and so getting a third of his father's estate, well, that's, you know, that's going to be quite a bit of money. Now, the really striking thing about this story is that the younger son comes to his father while he's still living and asks for his inheritance. You know what an inheritance is? It's something you get after somebody dies. His father's still very much alive and doesn't show any signs of dying anytime soon. And yet this, this kid, he wants his money. And so he comes to his father and he, and he straight up asks him for it. Now, I don't need to overemphasize this because I know many of us have probably heard sermons on this pair. This is one of the most famous things that Jesus taught. Uh, but you could not come up with something more dishonoring, disrespectful, or heartless than what this young son is doing to his father right now especially in the ancient world. He's effectively saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Like, my share of the inheritance is worth more to me than you alive right now. So I just want to move things along a little bit. I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to ask you for my share of the inheritance. Can I have it, please? No, that's shocking. But what's even more shocking is that the father agrees. He didn't have to, right? What's amazing is that the father doesn't kick this kid out. I think that most any ancient person hearing this parable, that's their reaction. It's like, guess what, son? You're getting zero now, you know? But that's not what he does. He, he says, okay. He says that he goes and he divides the estate between them. Now remember, it's, it's not like this father just goes into his bedroom, opens a safe, pulls out a bag of coins and says, here's, here's your share of the of the money. No, like he has to go sell his land and his livestock and stuff. He has to, like this is, a, this is gonna take some time. It's a major transaction. There's gonna be a lot of people involved. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be really awkward. It's gonna mess with the lives of a number of people. And yet he does it. So the younger son, it's kind of, he's kind of like that first group we mentioned earlier. He doesn't care about how this makes his father feel. He doesn't care what he's doing to the father. He doesn't care about what he's doing to other people. He just knows what he wants. He says, that sounds fun. I know how to live my life. I'm going to do it. He believes, he, he believes that he knows what's best for himself, and that's all that matters. Now, I imagine that moment the father hands him the check or whatever it ends up being, right? He hands him the check. I don't think that in that moment the son is like, Dad, I know we didn't always see eye to eye, but you're still my dad. I don't think it was a tender moment. Like he probably snapped the check out of his dad's hand, bolted for the door, and you could hear tires squealing on his way out the driveway, you know, leaving the father, leaving, standing by himself in the kitchen. Like that's, that's what it was. That's what this kid's doing to his dad. Now we know the rest of the story. The son goes, he's prodigal. He burns all the money quickly on rebellious living. And before he knows it, he's got nothing. And so he goes and he finds some work feeding pigs. 
And it slowly dawns on him, you know what? These pigs are eating better than I am. That's how bad it's gotten. Now, this, bring, this brings something up that I want to talk about real quick. Now, I've read the Bible. I understand how a lot of people, when they think about God, they, they, they have this image of a God of wrath. And that, and that wrath is God punishing people for their sin. I understand how we get that conclusion from the Bible. I mean, there's all sorts of passages that, that would lead one to think that. But you know what? When I read about God's wrath, and particularly the New Testament, like the letters of Paul, Romans chapter 1, wrath comes up quite a bit in that chapter. But you know what Paul says? He says that God gave them over to the desires of their hearts. See, that's wrath for Paul. It's the natural consequences of our actions. <laughs> it's not, he doesn't say, and so God smote them. No, he says God gave them over. It's, say, it's God saying, okay, you want your share of the inheritance. Here you go. Have at it. As the younger son sits in a pigsty with an empty stomach, you might call that wrath. It's the natural consequences of his choices. And so the son, he realizes that his father's pigs, his fa he's like, my dad's got pigs like these, you know? They probably eat better than me too. And so he devises this plan. He thinks, okay, I'm just going to go back to my dad and, and maybe he'll take me back as a servant. At least then I'll have something to eat. And so he starts the long journey home, and then comes that famous line. It says this, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And so what we have here is we have a father who has been watching and waiting for his son to come home. And the moment he sees that familiar outline on the horizon, he does what no self-respecting ancient Near Eastern man would do. He runs to his son, this son who ruined his reputation, who wished him dead, who wasted his life's work, throws his arms around him, he weeps on his shoulder, he blows even more money by slaying a fattened calf and throws a party for him. He puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know what he's doing here? He's treating him like a king. Like if a prince or a king or a dignitary came to this man's estate, that's what he would have done for him. And he's doing it for this son who did all of this stuff to him before. He treats him like royalty. Now let me tell you this right now. I don't care how many times you've heard or read this parable, how many sermons you've, you've heard on this thing. You don't understand this. I don't understand this. This defies our categories here. What's happening in this moment defies our understanding. The only thing we can do is sit there with our jaws hanging open saying, huh? Like, what? Sometimes at the dinner table, I'll share a dad joke, and I'll get this look from my, it just happened last night, actually. I'll get this look from my kids. It's like, what? That's what they do. They say, what? That's what, that's, that should be a reaction right now to this. Confusion, maybe a little bit of disgust. Like, what's he doing? Jesus' parables aren't supposed to be understood. They're supposed to elicit a response from us. 
We have this magic eye book, you know those books? They got like a pattern on the page and you stare at it and you're supposed to eventually see an image. We, none of us can get it to work. And so you're just sitting there with this book six inches from your nose and your eyes crossed looking like an idiot. And that's how I feel when I read this passage. I'm just like, what in the world? You know? Like we don't understand what's happening here. This, this lavishness of the Father. That's why Tim Keller, is, he calls his book Prodigal God. He says, you know, it's not the younger son who's the lavish one, the reckless one, the extravagant one. It's not him. It's the father. The father's the one who just recklessly wastes all he has on his sons. We have a prodigal God. The father pours out his love without abandon. He's got no regard for common decency or his reputation. He's got no thought of revenge in his heart. He's got a singular focus, loving this boy of his who had come home. And what this shows us is that that first group of people, right, the people that we, the younger sons, the people who just don't really care about their sin. You know, you know the way to reach them? is not by shaming them, turns out. It's, it's not by like bashing them overhead with your Bible, with a list of rules. It's not gonna work, I promise. Listen, nobody's ever been shamed into the kingdom of God, but many have been loved into it. So, that's the end of Act 1. Now on to Act 2. Enter the older son. It says... The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He comes home, he hears a party raging, and he says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with them. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think that you could argue that this is the climax of the parable. It's easy to think that it's the moment the younger son returns, when the father runs to him, when he throws the party, that that's like the climax, that's the main moment. You know what, I don't think that's the case. I think actually this is. I know it doesn't feel quite as exciting, right? But you gotta remember, Jesus in Luke 15, he's telling this to a group of Pharisees and religious leaders. That's his audience as he tells this parable. And he says this story of the prodigal son. He says it right after they um, criticized him for welcoming and eating with sinners. And in response to that, Jesus shares this parable. And so that's the audience. He's talking to the older brothers here. He's talking to group two, the people who are self-righteous enough to think that they don't have sin. That's who the parable's actually for. Now, it's easy to sympathize with this, this older son. I mean, he's done all the right things his whole life, and he's never gotten a party. Now he has to stand there and watch as this little twerp gets everything he ever wanted. You know what? I bet that that older brother... I bet that he covered for that younger son over the years. I bet there was times where he like lied to his father just to cover for him. 
I bet there was times with that older brother where he helped raise that, that younger son. I think he was probably a really good brother. I think he did everything he was supposed to do. There's any like older siblings in the room just feeling it right now. You know, it's like, yeah, that was me. That was me. He helped raise this kid, but he never got anything. Or so he thinks. Look what the father says. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. He's not being figurative here. Remember earlier in the parable, it says he goes and he, divi- he divided the estate between them. In other words, he actually had given his son everything he had. Everything I have is yours. The son just hadn't accepted his inheritance yet. He wasn't living like the heir he was. He believed that even though the ground he walked on was literally given to him by, given to him by his father, he still, he still felt like his father owed him something. See, the older son, he's in category two. He doesn't see, he doesn't see what's wrong here. He can't tell that in his heart there's actually something very off. That you may not have ran away from home. You may, not have, you may not have asked your father for the inheritance and ran away and done all those things that the younger son did, right? Like that stuff's obviously wrong. Anyone can see it. Your wrongness is much more subtle than that. What we're finding, it's, it's something that nobody but you can see. And maybe the father as well. You see, both of these sons rejected their father. The younger son didn't want his father. The older son wanted his father, but only on his terms. He wanted to control the father. He wanted to say, Father, this is how you should be behaving towards me right now. Here is what I deserve. Why aren't you doing this? Here's the frightening truth. Our churches are full of elder brothers. And as a result, younger brothers won't come anywhere near our churches. We're full of people who look down their noses at the behaviors we see out there, you know. And instead of joining in the love feast that God wants to throw, like we stand outside like this older brother casting judgment, thinking, no, 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 God, this is what you should be doing right now. God, you should be giving me these things. And God's like, look, everything I have is yours. John Wesley wrote this incredible sermon called The Almost Christian the almost Christian. And in it, he talks about his own journey. So he's talking about himself here. He says this, and God is my record before whom I stand doing all this in sincerity. He says, here's what I did. Having a real design to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will in all things, to please him who had called me to fight the good fight, to lay hold of eternal life. Yet, my own conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that all this time I was but almost a Christian. He's saying, look, I did all these things. I wanted to do God's will. I wanted to please God. And even then, I was just almost a Christian. He was an elder brother. And so what, according to Wesley, does it mean to be an altogether Christian, he calls it, an actual Christian? Well, he says you must actually love God. You can't just love the idea of God. You can't just love the benefits that come by acting like you love God, you know? 
Like, you got to actually love God. And unfortunately, that's something that really only you can answer. Like, only you can really know, you and God, if inside your heart, is there a flame? Is there a spark of hunger for God, of love for God? Do you actually want his presence in your life? These are questions that only we can answer, but this is what separates the almost Christian from the altogether Christian, the older brothers from those who will go into the party and enjoy the feast. The sermon is called God and Sinners Reconciled, and what we're learning is that there are, there's two different kinds of sinners, right? You got the younger brothers, and you got the older brothers too. They're both separated from their father. They're in the same boat. But there's still a big difference between them. Listen, the, the important difference between the two brothers lies not in the way they spent their lives, but in their response to their father. Now, let me, let me be clear about this. These, these boys made very dis- different decisions with their lives, didn't they? One, one of them goes and, you know, squanders everything. The other one stays home, does everything he's supposed to do all the time. So we have two very different ways to spend your life. But that's not the difference that matters. What matters is their response to the father. Notice the father goes out to both sons. He goes out to both of them. He runs to the younger son. He tenderly goes out to the older one. He approaches each son the way they need to be approached. Reckless forgiveness for one, tender understanding for the other. But here's the thing, we only know the response of one of the sons. I imagine that younger son going into that party trembling. Like, what is happening right now, you know? But we don't, we don't know what happened to the older, we don't know what the older son said. Maybe he left home after that, I don't know. Or maybe he said, okay, you're right, Dad. Goes into the party and celebrates. We don't know. It doesn't say. Why? Well, because Jesus was talking to the older brothers. It was up to them. It was up to them to decide how they were going to respond to this message. Just like it's up to us today. Listen, it isn't just lost younger brothers that need to be reconciled to God, but lost older brothers too. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you almost a Christian? Could it be that You've been doing this a long time and still you're an elder son or daughter in the story. You've been living by a moral code or a set of traditions or a set of rituals, but, but you, haven't, you haven't quite made that jump yet. You're still trying to follow God, but only on your own terms. You're expecting God to do things the way you think God ought to do them. And when he doesn't do them the way you think you should do them, you hold it against him. Could it be that you're an older brother? Listen, our churches are full of them. And I don't think any single person in this room, myself included, should excuse ourselves and say, nah, that ain't me. I think that we should all pause and ask ourselves, this is the point of the parable. This was what he was driving towards. He was bringing us to a place where we could ask ourselves, wait, am I an older brother? That's the audience he was speaking to. Is that me? Do you truly love God? Do you have that, that hunger for his presence in your heart? Do you, want him to, do you want to please him and serve him in all that you do? And do you love him? If that's, 
the case. If, if, if you're realizing you're an older brother, you can be reconciled to God today. You can come into that party. The door is wide open for him. And God is coming tenderly out to you and saying, look, everything I have is yours. Won't you, won't you come, please? I've given it all. I've given it all. I've held nothing back from you. Please, just come. Or are you a younger child, son or daughter? Like you made a mess of it and you know it, right? And again, this is we, humans have an endless ability to self-deceive. Like we can convince ourselves, no, actually I'm doing great. Like, yeah, I know what's up. I know what's best for me. And we can do that and everyone else in our lives knows that we're spinning out of control and we'll just keep telling ourselves the same thing. Like maybe it's time for some of us to be like honest. Maybe for the first time. No, I've created a pigsty for myself. And the love of God sounds a whole lot better than this. Maybe it's time for you to be honest and recognize that you're a younger child in the story. You made a mess and you know it, but whichever one you are, there's a party raging. There's a feast prepared. And God is saying, please come. Please come. Like, I will do anything, he says. I will do anything for you to come. In fact, I have. He says, I have done anything for you to come. The table is set. The only thing missing is you. Your father is either running to you to greet you, to throw his arms around you, or he's tenderly coming to you. Whichever it is that you need right now, he's saying, look, please come. Join the party. Join the feast. You are invited to the table. And so we have a, a baptism service coming up on January 14th. And um, if you're in either one of those two camps, the younger or the older, whichever one it is, and you're just like, you know what? Yeah, that's me. It's, it, I, I want to go. I want to go into the party. I want to I know God. I'm done with putting up the facade and play acting. I want, to, I want it to be real. I don't want to be almost a Christian. Um, please let us know. Just put on your card, email me, come talk to me after service, whatever it is. I want to baptize you. I want to baptize you. I want, I want you to make that statement to the world, to God, to everyone, that, that you belong to Jesus. And uh, that would be, I mean, it's the best thing I do. It's why I do what I do. And so that would be amazing. So if that's you, please just contact us. The best thing is just to put on your connection card today um, and, and we'll make, make arrangements for that to happen, okay? Let's pray. Almighty God, we know that we can't put in the words, we can't capture what it means that you would come running to us or that you would tenderly beckon us, that you would give all that you have. Lord, we read these words, we say these things, we come and we hear sermons on it. And it sometimes it just doesn't break through to us. And so, Lord, let it, let it break through today. Let us know, let us finally see finally experience and feel the incredible love that you have that maybe some of us haven't known or haven't thought was possible. And so we stand here, jaws gaping at your love, <laughs> feeling dumbfounded at the lavish grace you pour out on us. A prodigal you are with your goodness and your love and your mercy. And Lord, today we just make the only, the only reasonable response, which is to surrender to you and join you in the renewal of all things. And so Lord, uh, save somebody today. I pray in your name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?